0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling podcast. My name is Jackie Pillasoff, and I'm your host. I'm the creator and editor-in-chief of Divorced Girl Smiling, a media company that is comprised of a website, podcast, mobile app, and awesome, awesome trusted professionals in the divorce area. For people getting divorced from an alcoholic, I hate to say it, it's a long, difficult and very emotional roller coaster of a road. It's very overwhelming. It feels toxic at times. So what I want to talk about today is a question I get asked so often is how do I divorce my alcoholic spouse? Like how do you do it? How do you prove alcoholism? And what are some other tips on divorcing an alcoholic? I have a great guest for this. She wrote an article for Divorce Girl Smiling on the topic and we're gonna talk about it. Her name is Tiffany Hughes. Tiffany is a divorce attorney and managing partner of her firm, the law office of Tiffany M. Hughes. And she's been practicing law for 12 years, have had numerous cases like this. So hi, Tiffany. Hey, Jackie. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for taking time to do this, Tiffany. This is a really important topic. I feel like whenever you're on the podcast, we really tackle challenging issues like this and that you're so good at it and you give such great advice. So this is great.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, you always, you always, uh, you always make me work on these. (laughs) These
0: (laughs) I give you the toughies. All right. So, Tiffany, tell me about, you wrote in the article that, Illinois, which is where you practice and Florida, I don't know about Florida, but Illinois is a no fault divorce state. And is Florida also? Florida
1: is as well, yes. All right,
0: so tell me what that means when as pertaining to divorcing an alcoholic.
1: So that means that regardless of the reason why you wanna get divorced, like you don't have to have a reason. Before it used to be like you had to prove that there was infidelity or um, impotency or, you know, different things in order to get divorced. Now you can just get divorced um,
0: for any reason. If you were divorcing an alcoholic, your clients are probably scared to death and they want to prove to the judge because they're worried about their children and the custody and drinking and driving with their kids and that the kids are safe. You know, that maybe they're worried that they're, Exes, their soon to be ex is gonna be abusive while he or she is drinking. So tell me how you prove alcoholism in divorce.
1: Well, I think it's important, and you've touched on a couple of things that are really relevant, is when you're getting divorced from somebody who's an alcoholic and you don't have children, and getting divorced from an alcoholic and you do have children, so there's, concerns in that are kind of overlapping in both. Um, but when you get down to proving alcoholism, um, a lot of times you're looking at the purchases, you're looking at the activity of the spouse, you're looking at even potential criminal activity such as DUIs. Um, you can institute, you know, different kinds of testing, which we can talk about. So there's there's ways to go about the process of starting to lay the you know the framework of this person is an alcoholic.
0: All right, so we're talking about evidence that is considered admissible in court. So you need to have evidence and in the article, do you want to just list what you wrote in the article as what if in other words, if you're divorcing an alcoholic, here is what you should collect. Absolutely. And so I tell
1: clients, you know, if there's any police reports, if you have any certified copies of arrests, or if you could just tell me, you know, when he was arrested, (laughs) I can get a copy of, you know, of it certified, Um, any statements from any law enforcement, uh, uh, probation officers, social workers, friends, family, anybody, any other individuals that may have firsthand knowledge of your spouse's alcoholism bank and the credit card statements showing that your spouse is going to bars or purchasing alcohol text messages and emails from your spouse while intoxicated photos of property damage or injury resulting from this spouse's intoxication and then there's also videos that you can um, you know attempt to use and show the judge if as long as it doesn't violate certain other laws. Um, And so those are things too that you can do. A lot of times with alcoholics, they get angry um, and they become physically and mentally and verbally abusive. And when people are afraid for their life, they record it. And in certain circumstances
0: like that, you can use that. So are you encouraging people secretly to record it and then maybe, or maybe not, it will be used in court, but it's just good to have.
1: It's very dangerous. I, I, can't, I can't recommend anybody to do it because, you know, even if you're doing it and it's inconspicuous, right? And it's secret, um, a lot of times with an alcoholic, if they even think that you're recording them, then they start, they'll lunge at you. Things will then become physical if they weren't already physical. So it's a very, very, very dangerous, uh, dangerous thing to do.
0: And then also maybe, what if the kids see the video? That would be devastating. So there's that to take into consideration. But let me ask you this: one thing that wasn't on this list is, well, I guess you did put it on this. List your testimony about your spouse's habits, behaviors, and extent of their drinking. I always tell people in any divorce, not even just for alcoholics, to journal everything. Get a journal and write down the date and say things like, he or she came home and they were extremely aggressive and violent, mean to the kids, swearing, you know, just whatever happened that day with it, with the date. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I will say that um it's it's hard to go back later and remember all of the nuances. Um some of some of the events obviously will stick in a person's mind um more pro, like, more prominently than others, but um I think that the journal is a great idea just to have that as a reference point um and then, you know, explain this history of abuse to the court to, you know,
0: whoever in the process. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast with Jackie Pillasoff and my guest, divorce attorney Tiffany Hughes, who practices in Illinois and Florida. And we are talking about how to prove alcoholism in divorce and other tips on divorcing an alcoholic. We're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're gonna walk you through the process of divorcing an alcoholic and what might happen, and then also what happens when alcohol and drug tests come back positive for the alcoholic or drug user. We'll be right back. One of the most stressful parts of a divorce is thinking about finances. Specifically, when you get your divorce settlement, How do you invest it? What if you've never taken charge of your own finances? What if you don't know anything? How do you know what you should spend every month? How do you know how long your money's gonna last? Maybe you need to go back to work. These are all questions that are very stressful to think about. So I wanna recommend Elaine Moss and Pete Mullins from Vester Capital. Pete is a certified divorce financial analyst and Elaine is a vice president and they have been my personal wealth management advisors for eight years. I love the people at Vester. The service is just amazing. They do a full financial plan for you, and the investment piece has been wonderful. So, Vester Capital can be found at VestorCapital.com or on Divorced Girl Smiling under Trusted Partners. I also want to mention real estate agents Missy Gervita and Meredith Pearson of the Gervita Pearson team. If you live in Chicago on the North Shore or in the city, these guys are wonderful. I have known Missy Gerfida for 20 years. She is a big, big name on the North Shore. Meredith is wonderful as well. They have partnered Meredith handles the city, Missy handles the North Shore, and they are just lovely to work with. They're great negotiators, they have tons of experience, and they're delightful people. So you can find them at thekeytohomes.com or in the trusted partner section of Divorced Girl Smiling. Welcome back everyone, you're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast with Jackie Pilosoff and my guest, divorce attorney Tiffany Hughes. Tiffany and I are talking divorcing an alcoholic, we're offering tips and also how to prove alcoholism in divorce. So Tiffany, in the cases that you've had, I'm sure you've had numerous, of people trying to divorce an alcoholic, I have two questions. First of all, do you have cases where the people ignore the alcoholism for the time being, and they just say, you know what, I just want out, and what are the dangers of that? And then we'll get into what happens if you bring it up in court, what's the process?
1: So for question number one, yes. um, Going through and bringing up the issue of alcoholism to the court usually then Results in, um, you know, a guardian at litem or a child representative to then be appointed to represent the children, which is then an additional cost, which then takes more time. So people, you know, are hesitant in sometimes doing that because they want to be divorced as of yesterday. Um, And it's very sad that they don't want to address it. Um, But with people that do address it, Um, and do have concerns, which if you have concerns, you should absolutely raise them now. Um, You could be putting your children in danger if they're not already in danger. And it's just, it's, it's something that's so very important. And if in fact the court is made aware of even an allegation of alcoholism, the courts don't take that very lightly. It is a serious thing. And even if the allegation is not true, the court will, you know,
0: take steps um, just to ensure that the children are safe. So, what happens when there's an allegation made? So, the person who the allegation was made against has to go through alcoholism and drug testing, or maybe both parents. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it depends. So, what happens? One spouse files a motion and says, I have serious concerns in regards to my spouse's alcoholism, here are all of the things that, i.e. you put in your journal and that you've documented that you've had concerns about and that you are asking the court to either temporarily suspend um, that spouse's parenting time or you're asking the court to have that spouse, sometimes also drug testing is just included as you're doing like a urine sample or a blood sample. So depending on the circumstances and depending on what you're requesting to the court, courts usually will err on the side of caution and they'll say, mutually, both of you will have to take a peth test and a drug test um, and then temporarily to ensure the children's safety depending on the allegations, right? Um, And the severity of the allegations sometimes that the the alcoholic spouse, you know, his or her parenting time is temporarily suspended until Uh, we can find out, you know, what the severity of the drinking is.
0: All right, now you said a couple things. So first of all, if you go down this road, you have to be prepared that you are gonna be tested also. So know that going in. And then secondly, Tiffany, Tell me about some of, so let's say the drug test or the alcohol test comes back positive and they have some evaluations and the court sees that this person might not be a fit parent at this point. What are some of the actions that could take place? Well, as an incentive
1: usually, and not only an incentive, but primarily to protect the children, that that alcoholic spouse's parenting time would be restricted. Um, It could be temporarily suspended um, until that spouse gets a certain kind of treatment plan, um, or it can be restricted in that it's gonna be supervised with somebody else there. um, That typically what happens is there's no driving. There's an order that's entered that says no driving with the child, there's a supervisor that's there parenting time is conducted in you know a public um place. A, like a public place mm-hmm.
0: and maybe no. no overnight parenting time either
1: correct yeah, so one of the restrictions being no overnights, definitely
0: all right, another thing you wrote is that they re- would require completion of a treatment or rehabilitation program courts can. It gets tricky with
1: what courts can order. Um, Sometimes like treatment plans and things like that or attending therapy. There's just sometimes where you have where a court can't order somebody to do something. Um, And usually these things come after recommendations and are then entered by agreement.
0: Okay, got it. Another thing is regular and random alcohol screenings. And then you wrote requirements to be sober before and during parenting time. Correct. Mm -hmm. So this is really serious. Now, um, I wanna go back to where somebody might not bring this up because maybe they don't know enough about alcoholism. So their thing is, my husband just drinks too much and I don't like it. So my suggestion, tell me if you agree with this, Tiffany, is if you're not sure Go to an Al-Anon meeting and find out because that is the best way to really know if your spouse has a problem. Do you agree with that? I agree. absolutely. Or I even think- therapy and tell the therapist some of the things going on. I mean, you could do either one or both. Definitely. The other thing I was going to bring up is that I want to talk about the people who decide to not bring up alcoholism in the divorce because they just want out. Here's why they don't do it. Either they're scared they're too scared and it's expensive to do it. So Tiffany, tell me about the people that come to you and say like, I'm too scared to do this. I just want to get divorced and be done. And I don't even want to bring it up. What's the drawbacks and, why shouldn't they do it and or why sh- is that maybe okay at, at certain times?
1: Well, I think the problem is, is we're forgetting about the elephant in the room. And so just ignoring the elephant isn't gonna make the elephant go away. And maybe right now it'll go away, right? The problem that you don't wanna address will go away for right now, but it will forever be lingering until the alcoholic spouse for one, acknowledges that they have a problem and two, wants to actually do something about it. So right now they don't want to do anything, but typically, and I will say, which is very, very, sad is that after they're divorced, things don't get better and it becomes, you know, uh, intolerable. <laughs> it was already before, but now it's even exacerbated more. Um, and then they're coming to me trying to change the terms of their Uh, parenting agreement. And the laws are very, very, you know, specific on how to change that. (laughs) You've got to be careful if you're modifying something, if it was already there and you didn't bring it up, you may not be able to change it.
0: Wow, that is so scary. And what I was gonna say is that for people listening, alcoholism is a progressive disease. So, you might be divorcing an alcoholic and then five years down the road, that person's disease is gonna be much more advanced. So it's only gonna get worse. So I would say my advice is to educate yourself on alcoholism. And like I said, either by going to therapy or going to Al-Anon and learning about what's in store if you do nothing, because that could be more dangerous.
1: Agreed, absolutely. I mean, knowledge is key, right? And so you definitely wanna educate yourself, but you also wanna think about, you know, after you're divorced and your children are going with this alcoholic spouse, their safety, and that's a huge problem. And you don't know what's happening when the kids are with him or her.
0: And not just safety, but the way that they're being raised with an alcoholic Who might be emotionally abusive and they're seeing this person, you know, drink six beers every night that they're with them. And then these kids are going to grow up thinking that that's the normal thing to do. So there's that. There's not even just immediate danger. There's long term danger as well. Absolutely. Now, in your article, Tiffany, you cited a couple of cases that you had with someone trying to divorce an alcoholic. Do you want to talk about talk about these cases? It might help people. Sure. So
1: um one of the cases that I had, I represented the mom and they weren't married, but they had a they had a little boy together and there were serious concerns in regards to dad's alcoholism. And so we had filed a motion uh with the court, putting the court on notice of the concerns. And we asked the court to have him PATH tested, which is the alcoholic, you know, the alcohol test. Um, and when that test came back, um, it was, it determined that in fact, on average he had 18 drinks a day, 18. Wow.
0: So did you say what the PATH test, I don't remember if you just dis- described what the PATH test is, it measures your alcohol for the last like three months or, three weeks, what? It measures, so it's a test designed to detect
1: heavy drinking for up to two to four weeks prior to the sample being
0: collected. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay, yes. so now, then there's... what happened? So they the test came back and said he had 18 drinks on average a day, that's unbelievable.
1: Correct, so the court said, well, <laughs> um, his mother, so my client agreed that his mom could be a supervisor. And so his mom was the supervisor during the parenting time. He had restricted parenting time. Um, and then, you know, we have, that's what the order's been It hasn't changed. Um, but he also hasn't gotten any better. And recently we had asked that he test again and he refuses to test, which means that no change in parenting time will occur so the only way that he's going to get out of this restricted parenting time is if he tests and it doesn't come back positive and
0: he won't do it okay so what i want to say to my listeners is that i don't even think this i'm not i hope you're not listening to this thinking this guy's a horrible person he doesn't love his kids For those of you who don't understand alcoholism, this person has an illness. It is an illness just like cancer is an illness or a heart condition. And it's hard not to be angry by it. And it's hard to say, you know, this guy's a horrible person. He's not. He's just an ill person who needs help and he can't do it. Alcoholism is an illness. All right, tell me
1: about the other case. Okay, so the other case. Uh, we represented the wife in a divorce and she had two minor children, both in elementary school. Um, the husband had an extensive criminal history involving drugs and alcohol. And due to the circumstances, um, the husband agreed to have, uh, for the mother, the husband agreed to have joint decision-making, um, and then she was going to be having sole decision-making for medical and then this was all planned on having this like step up process of this is what's going to happen so you know he he would have to test clean first once he tests clean then he can have unsupervised parenting time for x you know x amount of time then after he tests clean again after that then he gets x and so these restrictions were being diminished on a step, you know, step up basis. However, if at any point in time that he tested positive for alcohol, um, then it would go back to square one again.
0: Now, Tiffany, are these cases like this mediation is impossible? This is all done through litigation. I mean, most of it.
1: Most of it. Be. Yeah. It is, because somebody yeah, who's because, an
0: alcoholic is unreasonable. So they're not just going to say, okay, I agree to get tested. So, right. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we close out, Tiffany, tell my listeners how they can reach you if they want to consult. Uh, absolutely. Well,
1: for one, if you don't mind, um, I just want to share with everybody that um, a personal thing. That, uh, so my father is a alcoholic. Um, his mother, my grandmother, was uh, an alcoholic. Really nice alcoholic. I didn't even know she was an alcoholic. Um, I mean, she was just always so happy. Um, and she died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, my dad is a functioning alcoholic still to this day. And so alcoholism is something that I've been, unfortunately, around um, my entire life. So it's not just in the in my work that I'm familiar, I'm, I'm familiar in my own personal life. And so I just want people to know that when we're talking about things that are really, really, really personal in your life, um, that I have probably similar experiences. Um, as far as contacting me, you can email me at tiffanyhughes at thugheslaw.com. You can also reach out to me on the firm's website, which is www.thewselaw.com. And you can also call my office at 773-893-0228.
0: Serving clients in Florida and Illinois. And also you can find Tiffany under trusted partners on Divorced Girl Smiling. And you know what, Tiffany, that makes you an even better fit because you can personally relate and you have so much empathy and compassion. So I just think it's wonderful that you're helping people in this way. But I also want to say, don't Tiffany doesn't just do alcoholism and divorce. She's a great no. divorce attorney for many other things too. And she helps people get divorced through litigation or mediation or the collaborative process. So on that note, I wanna close out and tell everyone listening that if you are in this situation, I really hope that Tiffany and I have helped make you feel better about this. I know it's really, really scary to bring up the alcohol in your divorce, but please, please don't let that stop you from doing it because the danger in not saying anything could be worse. Go with your gut. And I promise you, you can handle this and you will get through it. So if you want to learn more and you want to read Tiffany's article, come see me at divorcedgirlsmiling.com. You can also read other articles on there, listen to more podcasts, download my mobile app and view all of my wonderful trusted partners. So thanks again for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you real soon.